Welcome to Season 2 of the Adult Children Voices Across America Speakers Meeting Podcast. You can attend this meeting live on Thursdays at 6 p.m. Pacific Time using the Zoom ID 848-5208-0640, password 061120. For more information about adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families, visit adultchildren.org. The following speaker share from Hope M. was recorded on May 26, 2022. So my name is Hope. I identify as an ACA. And um, thank you so much for inviting me here tonight, Gretchen. I um, One of the things I, I find funny sometimes is... Um, I can't stand myself, but I, yeah, I can't stop talking about myself, you know, <laughs> so it's like my favorite topic. And I think we're all in that boat in some regards. Um, so I'm here to share my experience, strength, and hope. And um, so I'll just tell you a little bit about my experience for the background information. I really don't identify with that so much anymore because that's not my life. I've been in ACA recovery for, I think it's going on seven years, coming up in... <laughs> July and um, I, I have benefited from it quite extensively and um, I'm happy to share that part more so. But the background, the backstory, the old story is that I grew up in um, a pretty dysfunctional household. I, my mother um, was had mental illness. My brother had mental illness. My sister had a mental illness and um, my mother was pretty unstable. And um, it, um, I didn't know my father growing up. She had many boyfriends, husbands, got remarried a couple different times. And the household was just really unstable. Um, I moved around a lot. I switched schools a lot. There was um, times in my early teenage years that I was homeless and you know had poverty issues and scarcity issues with food and clothing. Um, there was not a lot of violence, but some violence. Police were called. You know, there was drug and alcohol also. Um, my mother often tried to self-medicate. You know, my mother had issues. She probably was an adult child herself, as I learned in this program. Um, and she she um, associated with dangerous people, people that had drug addictions, people who didn't know how to handle themselves when they got angry, people who, you know, took advantage of her. She, and my mother was a perpetual victim. Um, and as I said, I didn't know my father. So um, there was just a lot of dysfunction, a lot of craziness, and a lot of what made it unsafe to be an uh, innocent, vulnerable child in that house. And um, our houses, we moved around quite a lot. And the reason we moved out, moved around quite a lot, because she was in many different relationships, you know, so it was hard to... Um, to stay, stay in one place when you're always changing people. So, um, so that's, you know, that's the very simplified version of it. My um, sister was given up into foster care and then adoption when she was about six years old. My brother, um, and my sister was 18 months older than me. My brother is five years younger than me. There's like different fathers and all this, all this nonsense. And um, so the majority of my childhood, um, I wasn't with my siblings. We were, we were estranged. They were off being raised by different people and, and all this stuff. And um, 
and I was there. I belonged to my mother. I didn't belong to anybody else. You know, um, the man who I thought was my father wasn't my father, you know, and then when they broke up, he's like, yeah, I'm not your dad anymore. So that was very difficult. And that happened about at the age 10. So, um, and when I was a teenager, I could not wait to leave that house. And I started leaving that house very young. Probably when I was about 13 years old, I started becoming a live-in nanny for families. And I used to take care of their kids and just sort of in um, a way to preserve my own life, get away from my family as much as possible. I spent a lot of time over my friend's house, spent a lot of time just walking around, you know, just anything not to be home. And when I was 17, I was able to get emancipated and will be an adult by myself. And that worked. Um, and I really did think that once I turned 18, that I would be free and clear, uh, even younger when I was 17, that I'd be free and clear and that I could just go on and live my happy life. I didn't realize the repercussions of being an adult child and growing up in that really un unhealthy household. I expected that I would just know how to do everything. In retrospect, I, um, one of the examples I always say is like, I used to have really long hair, like down to my waist. I didn't even know how to put my hair in a ponytail. I mean, I really didn't know how to do much, but I knew how to keep babies and children alive because I babysat a lot and I learned through experience and the mothers always sort of guided me. So um, I met my husband when I was 19. I got married by the time I was pregnant, by the time I was 21 and had two babies by the time I was 25 and I worked and I raised those kids and I kept them alive amazingly. And I did really good until they got to be about four, you know? And then I was like, and then they started talking and having opinions and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And it was hard. It got harder as I got older. It was easy to, to take care of a baby, but it was harder to take care of a person. And that's what they were. And they were independent people that didn't think and act the way I did. And I didn't understand that. And, um, you know, I had a divorce from their father, done in a couple of different relationships. And then in my thirties, I um, figured out my sexuality and I turned out to be a lesbian. I had no idea, but there I am. And so there was a big upheaval in my family about that. Uh, thankfully everybody was very supportive, but it meant breaking away from old relationships and getting into new ones. And then all those relationships too. I've had many relationships. I, I date a lot or have dated a lot. I'm trying not to date so much, but you know, it's hard. Um, so that's my experience. And now um, I came into ACA by way of Al-Anon. I had gone to Al-Anon for five years because I date addicts and alcoholics, you know, because that's what I like. And um, so I went to, um, I went to AA because I was having some problem drinking myself. And I was like, well, you know, it, it could, could be the problem. I didn't really identify as that in, in reading um, the big book of AA. I'm not an alcoholic, but I am a problem drinker. So I just stay away from it. It's better off if I don't. I was turning into a mother I didn't want to be and um, didn't really, wasn't really uh, raising my esteem at all. And um, I always drank away from the house, which meant I wasn't home, you know, when I was drinking, taking away time from my kids. And uh, so I stopped that and I've been sober for, uh, gosh, it feels, I think it's around 12 years now, not drinking. And um, so anyway, I was going to Al-Anon, dating somebody who was in AA and um, 
did that did Al-Anon for five years. And then um, I was kind of unsatisfied with some of the meetings and I used to be a daily meeting maker. So I did, I wanted to find better meetings on those days that I was unsatisfied with. So not all meetings are equal. And so walking down the church hall, there's a flyer for ACA with a little kid in a Superman cape. And I got an affiliation. My kid self loves superheroes. Batman's my favorite, you know? So I was like, hey, that caught my eye, you know? And then I went and it just happened to be on the nights, uh, Wednesday nights and Friday nights that I was unsatisfied with. So it really worked well into my schedule. And I showed up and um, I went into my first ACA meeting and there was a big, thick wooden round table with other adult children there. And I heard the laundry list, I identified with it. And I thought, oh my God. And in that meeting, there were other ACAs acting very much like ACAs, you know, <laughs> and it's a little intimidating, it's a little scary. And they were having some contention that night and people were getting a little hot under the collar and it was scary. And yet, but I'm like, you know what? I put up with worse. It's fine. I'm going to stay. And I kept on coming back because I liked what the literature said. And I, it was the first time that I ever sat anywhere. And I was like, yeah, this has not just the hopeful aspect, but like, wow, this really rings a bell somewhere in me. There's some sort of like ding, ding, you, this ding, 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 you know, all the other places. And I was a big church shop shopper. Like I would go anywhere seeking some sort of help. I was in therapy for years. I put my kids in therapy. I, I did everything. I did everything. On a side note, my um, oldest daughter is on the spectrum. She's autistic and she lives in a group home. So for her, I would find any sort of resource or social group or workshop or anything, anything I can do to try to help her. And I was just the same sort of thing. I was looking for that lifesaver. And I thought it was people. I thought it was relationships. I thought it was drinking. I thought it was drugs. I thought it was you know, being in, being in a committed relationship, being in an open committed relationship or being open, like in a polyamorous relationship or being in no relationship. Like I had no clue where salvation was going to come from for me. And I had no higher power. I had no God, which is a lie. It was a lie. I didn't know it, but it was a lie. I thought I had no higher power because I thought for some reason I was excluded from that. I didn't really belong to the family. I didn't really belong to any school or town because I always moved around a lot. You know, I didn't seem to fit in with what was going on with my family because I really was like, yuck, that's gross. I don't like it. I don't like how you guys make me feel. It's largely disassociated, disassociated from my body completely. It was all cerebral. It was all up in my head all the time. I was so anxious. I would shake, you know, just like on a constant vibration of nervousness. Um, I had a speech impediment when I was a kid, so I couldn't even talk right. I couldn't walk right. It was pigeon-toed. I just felt like all jacked up, not of this earth, not belonging anywhere. And I thought, and I saw the love of God and spirituality and religious and that good humanness in other people. But for some reason, I was excluded. In ACA, I found out, well, that's because you were excluded in ways from your family you didn't feel like you belonged to them. So then you're not going to belong to your higher power. And so I really worked in Al-Anon and then in ACA too, to create a higher power of my understanding. And I'm happy to say I got one and I got a really deep one and I keep on evolving it and I keep on uh, putting energy and effort into it and it keeps on growing and it feels so good. It feels so good. Um, 
so I got into ACA, was really scared about it, and I stayed. And I got into um, a step step group, and I just stuck with it. I've been in the rooms ever since. And now, currently, I am working. I've done the twelve steps three times. I'm working the loving parent uh, guidebook with two other women. I'm working the laundry or not not the, yeah, the trades book with another fellow traveler. And I sponsor also a couple, a couple, three women. So, and when we used to be able to travel um, freely and affordably, I used to go to the world conventions, which were awesome. And so I would base my uh, vacation time around wherever the world convention was, which was lots of fun. And um, it really gave my inner child a chance to explore and adventure the things that I wasn't able to do as a kid. Um, growing up, I was very much isolated. My mother was isolated and um, I, didn't, I didn't have social skills. I used to think I was an introvert and it wasn't, it wasn't that I was an introvert. I'm actually a very much an extrovert, but I thought I was an introvert because I just didn't know how to relate to people. You know, I didn't, it wasn't safe to relate to people. And I remember um, saying quite often in my adult years that um, I don't want to know anybody else. I don't want nobody to talk to me. I don't want a new friend. I don't want anybody. I don't want to know your name. I don't want to know your story. I don't know what you, I don't want to know your problems because I was concerned about what you would want from me. And I felt like I had nothing to give. And I'm a pretty, pretty awesome people pleaser. I am codependent especially in my closer relationships. It doesn't show much show up in work and in that kind of stuff anymore, but my intimate relationships, it's still, still a struggle. Um, a tip that I learned or I figured out for myself is how do you know if it's something you're going to be kind? Cause I, I consider myself a kind person. I want to be generous, right? So how do I know if I'm doing something out of kindness and generosity, or am I doing something out of codependency and people pleasing? And for me, it's the resentment factor. If I'm not sure of my um, motivations, how does it make me feel? If I'm getting pissed off at the idea that I'm doing it for you, chances are I shouldn't be doing it for you, <laughs> you know? And I take um, a hands-off approach now, which means if it's not mine, I don't touch it unless I'm invited to. And when I'm invited to, I can only touch that small part. I can't do the other stuff. So if, if, um, my college age daughter comes home from work. She's home from the summer. She's working, thank God. And she goes, I'm hungry. And I say, do you want me to make you something to eat? And she says, yes. Well, that doesn't mean I have an invitation to run her the rest of her evening and tell her what to do and all that kind of stuff. That means I get to cook her something and feed her. And whether she eats it or not, that's up to her. But once again, I'm only allowed to do that small part because um, I like helping right? Helping, you know, which is enabling. And, you know, and I'm in the medical profession and I'm very good at it. I'm very good at helping. And um, it's exhausting quite, quite literally. It can be very exhausting. Um, in ACA, I'm learning a lot about self-care and I have a lot of ideas about what that was and, and how um, it's evolved over time too. Um, self-care for me was eating the crust off the kid's sandwich, you know, after they were done picking at it. And that was my self-care. I, I ate, you know, hey, I ate, you know, talk about crumbs, right? I literally ate the crumbs thinking that was a meal. 
And then, you know, I got into Al-Anon and a little bit of ACA and I'm like, Hey, okay. Okay. All right. I can make myself a sandwich. Okay. I can do that. You know, and that's better. That's better than the crust. Right. But I stopped. So now my understanding that I'm sort of working on now is um, that I can make a really nice sandwich, really good bread, really good meat, you know, um, lettuce, tomato, if I want cheese, whatever I want, whatever I actually feel like doing it. And I can have that sandwich. And if I'm not hungry or if I'm not quite full, I'm still a little hungry. It's my job to feed myself more. That means I need to go get an apple or I need to go get some water with it. And I have to keep on doing that self-care, have to keep on putting that energy and effort into that unmet need until it goes away. And once it goes away, then the need is met then the need is met. And then I don't have to contend or fight against it or think about it anymore because I fulfilled that need. Another example that I like is um, when I'm cold, I get cold, I'm getting old. You know, I told, told the kids I'm old and old and cold now, right? And with a little bit of mold, right? So, um, so if I'm cold, which I'm awfully often cold, um, you know, I used to just put on a sweater and be like, okay, well, I did, I did the self-care thing. Look, I put on a sweater, you know, but I'm still cold. All right. Well, maybe I'll put on some socks. Okay. Well, I'm still cold. All right. Well, maybe I'll put on some mittens. Well, I'm still cold. All right. Maybe I need another sweater or another, another, uh, layer. Well, I'm still cold. All right. Well, maybe I'm going to put on a hat or oh, I'm still cold. Well, okay. Well, maybe I'll turn up the heat a little bit in the house. Well, I'm still cold. Well, maybe I need a blanket. Well, I'm still cold. Well, maybe I need to jump in the shower and warm up my core and then get re-layered up again. It's like, it's my job to keep on taking care of myself. And it's exhausting. Like I'm a lot of work. I'm a lot of work. I don't want to, like, God damn. I'm a, I, I used to think I was like so easy and so flexible and so, oh, it's okay. I got nothing. I, I'm cool. I am so not cool. So not chill. It's like, I, I want it all. I don't want to feel good. And I want I want to be able to make myself feel good. I want you to make feel good. And if I, you can't make me feel good or you don't make me feel good, I'm going to put boundaries up. You know, it's like, it's a lot of work to be an adult that has a pretty, um, just not in dysfunction, I guess. <laughs> I wanted to say healthy, but I won't go that far. Let's say just not an active dysfunction. And I can go there, you know, I can go there pretty easily. I can go there when I have those halt, you know, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Those are my golden invitation to go right back to dysfunction. It's like the golden ticket slips under my door, like the Willy Wonka, you know, it's a golden ticket. You know, you're hungry, you go ahead, you know, go ahead and have that deep discussion about your daughter's future while you're hungry. Go ahead. That'll be fun. You know, go ahead. You know, let's talk about, you know, and because I always want to focus on other people's stuff. I never want to focus on mine. Right. So it's that golden invitation to get into other people's stuff, tell them how to live, give that unsolicited advice, put my hands all over their situation that they haven't even asked about. And so I have to take all that energy with the power of my higher power and say, please, you know, just help me get back here. I just need to get back here. And I'm left to my own devices. I do okay with nobody's in my provisional. But when they're floating around and they're doing their stuff, that's when I start again. Well, I'm looking a little too much over here. I'm looking a little bit too much over what you're doing. And so that's when I need to um, ground and say, well, I need to eat. I need to drink. I need to 
do my program. I got my phone calls scheduled. I got my, my stuff and I need to just keep, keep my focus there. Um, my ACA program has been, um, I can't, I can't even express how grateful I am for ACA and, um, all the members, all the people that I've met, all the stories I've heard, and every single person who attends a meeting who has challenged the notion that I am alone, that I'm the only one that feels this way, that I'm the only one that that does this crazy shit, that I'm the only one that has problems, that I'm the only that I'm the only one. You know, that's like the biggest lie. I'm the only one. It's a lie. It's such a lie, but it's what I believe. You know, there's also other stuff that I believe that's really hard. You know, in ACA, we just manage, we identify what our beliefs are that run our lives and we challenge them and we have to challenge them all the time, you know, because they're there. I'm not going to be able to get rid of um, some of the notions, but I have to have to think about them and say, is that true? Is that really true? Um. When I was a kid, I had a speech impediment. I went to speech for a long time. And then as an adult, I got into relationships with friends and partners and everything who would say that I can't talk. They, I, they can't hear me. I don't articulate well, right? And I'm like, oh, I, you know, all those years of therapy and I still can't fucking talk. It wasn't that I wasn't talking. It was just, I was believing I couldn't talk, believing these what people were telling me about myself, believing that somehow there was something wrong with how I was presenting myself and how I was being talking. I do, I mispronounce a lot of words, but I also articulate fine. I don't think anybody's having a hard time understanding what I'm saying. And, um, and so now with ACA and a lot of help from my fellowship, a lot of help from my friends, a lot of help from a higher power, you know, I get to identify with what I want to identify with. I get to rewrite my story. I get to have a new story. It's a new, new Testament of hope <laughs> and uh, the inner loving affirmations for the inner child today. They talked about the rebirth, you know, so I get to rebirth myself and I get to do that every single day. If I really need to, I get to say, this is who I want to be and put my attention there. Um, I grew into an optimist through the attitude of gratitude. You know, I really do believe I learned about gratitude and Al-Anon. If I keep a daily attitude of gratitude and be thankful for what I got, I'm gonna stay out of resentments. You know, I used to really hate where I came from. I hated it, hated my mother, hated my family, hated the injustice and unfairness of, you know, of, of it all, you know? And it's really only by the grace of God and a roll of the genetic dice that I've done any better than my family members. Um, they're all in active addiction. They're all still in very dysfunction. I lost a sister through suicide. Um, my mother just recently died at a very young age. I was estranged from her for about 15 years, um, maybe even longer than that. And um, I was able to make a amends to her at her bedside while she was in the hospital. I never thought that was going to happen. I would, I couldn't bet against that ever happening and feel pretty darn confident about it. But um, I was given the opportunity and I was smart enough to take it, you know, so that I can be free um, from that story. Let that be her story. 
and she passed, let her take that story to her grave. That was her, not me, you know. Um, and I can grow out of it. And that's what I like about ACA. ACA is hard, man, it's hard. It's the hardest thing that I have ever consistently done, you know. And um, it's also the most beneficial thing that I've ever done too. So it's like, I'm going to do the hard stuff. I'm going to do the step work. I'm going to do the loving parent book. Oh my God. I thought I was like all hot shit. That book came out. I'm like, oh, this is easy. I've been doing loving parent work for years. I sponsor people through chapter eight and chapter 15. I got it. I got it. This is going to be a breeze. You know, I'm doing it with two other women and they're like newer in the program. So I'm going to be like the, you know, the wise sage and stuff. And it's like, no, no, it's kicking my ass. It is so hard. It is so hard. I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> I can't believe, but I'm, I'm happy for it. You know, I'm happy for it because the more, the more I rocked, I get, the more I know that things are moving and shifting. You know, I never did anything with my body. Like, um, like I know the issues are my tissues. I do totally believe that I totally believe in, in generational trauma. I believe that we pass down what we have either genetically or nurture or nurtured wise, you know, takes about three generations for it to shake out of a family, you know, to start really seeing differences and changes. My kids have a better prospect than I did. And I have a better prospect than my mother did. You know, I'm hoping my grandchildren and further on will be better too. Um, but I'm going to do with hard stuff. I'm going to do all the work even when I'm resistant to it, I'll, I will confess, I don't journal. And I was like, oh, how could you not? I hate it. I don't like it. Okay. <laughs> I have a real issue with it. When I used to write, my mother used to read my, my journals and then attack me with what I wrote. I don't feel safe about it. I don't want, I don't want that shit read, you know? And sometimes I'll give it a go. And sometimes it's helpful. And I've done the non non hand dominant writing stuff. And that's, that was helpful, but I don't, I don't do everything that ACA does because I don't, I want to say I don't need to, but that's not the truth. The truth is, is that I don't really super uncomfortable with that part. So I double up on this part. I double up on meetings. I double up on mirror work. I do tons of, can look at me, you know, <laughs> it's like beautiful. And I have mirror markers and I write all over my mirrors and I go over my friends' houses and I write over their mirrors. And I, you know, I just, you know, I do what I can to do the program, not cripple myself while I'm doing it. You know, um, that's why I really recommend doing chapter eight and then chapter 15 before you venture into step work, because my belief is that step work will put you on the floor. It's going to put you on the floor. If you're doing honest, sincere step work, it's going to put you on the floor. At least with chapter eight and chapter 15, you got a pillow and a blanket when you go down, you know, it's a little bit nicer, not so bad. And um, I'm th thinking about what else. So in ACA, so the promises, right? The promises are pretty cool. When I first heard them, I was like, really like, oh, I would like those. Don't know what those are, but okay, I would like some. And um, over the years, I can say that I have most of the promises, if not in full, then in part. I have much better relationships and the quality of my relationships are so much better than they used to be. And, um, and you know, my work is good. I've been able to advocate for myself 
getting raises, getting promotions, putting boundaries about my time and energy, my um, relationship with my children. You know, I come in my house, my kids give me kisses and hugs. How was your day? Who gets that? You know, who, what, what, what parent of a teenager gets that? I get that, you know, because I was able to turn things around with the help of the program on my higher power. So I could start telling my kids I love them, you know, and having them feel it. You know, one of the big things that I was scared to death of being a parent is that my kids wouldn't know I loved them. I always questioned, did my mom love me? I don't really feel like she tells me she does, but I don't really feel it. And if she loved me, where is she? And why am I in this strange place? And why am I meeting her in a bar? You know, I mean, just, it didn't feel loving. It didn't get the protection that I needed as a kid. And I was always so concerned that my kids wouldn't feel that. They wouldn't feel my love for them. And, and when they were younger and before recovery, they would say, you don't love me. I'm like, oh, oh, they would kill me. They would kill me. They knew exactly where to shoot, you know? And, um, you know, that's because they were hurt in that moment. You know, whatever was happening with them that they weren't feeling my love. And um, they don't say that to me anymore. They don't, they don't say that. If sometimes they'll roll their eye and goes, I know, I know. All right, let me go. I know. You know, I'm like, all right, all right. And I was just um, doing some book work today and I was saying, you know, my kids come to me, you know, I with stuff that my I would never, ever go to my parents with. Stuff about how they feel, stuff about how they're worried, stuff about, well, I don't know, what should I do next? You know, I never asked my parents anything because. They just weren't there. They weren't available to. And, um, you know, doing, doing my step work was really important. It helped open my eyes to where my denial is. My denial um, was in the land of secrets. It's not that I wanted to be in denial. It's just there were so many secrets in the family. I didn't really know which way was up. And my perception of reality was all fucked up. It was all messed up. I couldn't really, I really misjudged or mistrust myself because I didn't think I was seeing things right. And then I got into relationships where people were like, no, no, that's not how it was. This is what we agreed to, or no, no, you misunderstood that. And I was like, oh, okay, I, I guess I was wrong. You know, <laughs> like a big dummy. And it wasn't that I was dummy. It was just, I was always in the stance of having to agree to survive. I was always put in the position where I had to back down. I had to be less than, I had to, set myself aside, I had to, you know, um, there wasn't safety in being visible, you know, so I became invisible. And on a daily basis, I have to tell myself that's not today. That is not today. In fact, I have a lot more evidence that challenges that I have to be that way, that I have to be small, or that I have to be people pleasing, or that I have to do this sort of backdoor manipulation in order to get love and affection and safety you know the truth of it is is that I have lots of supportive friends I have a nice warm house now I have more clothes than I know what to do with you know I have more I have enough money I have enough my refrigerator is full I just have enough it's not the same situation it could be the same situation if I don't continue to work um, a program so thinking about that, and I think about the 12 steps, and the first one is, um, you know, step one, I'm powerless. 
of the effects of alcoholism and dysfunction. Um, part of my step one is that I am powerless to live a good, healthy, peaceful life without a program. I need a program to help me live a life that I didn't know anything about. I wasn't set up for um, happiness and safety and success and a beautiful, loving relationship. I was told to get married to a guy and hope he didn't beat me. And maybe he'll put me up in his house and um, have a couple kids. You know, that was about as far as I was going to go, you know, and it was um, not encouraging. And there's a lot of fear of stepping out of that, you know, and luckily I'm Luckily, I'm a little bit on the older side because um, I've had enough time on this planet to prove prove that wrong. I went back to school as in my 30s, full of fear, you know, full of fear of what if what if I'm not smart enough? What if I can't learn? What if my support system for my kids give up? What if something happens and I have to drop out? What if I do all this energy into the schooling and I can't make a go of the job I want? I mean it took like everything to go against all that fear, but it was like the best thing I could do. And nowadays it's not that if I feel fear, I should do it, but I do believe that there is something, there's something about ACA people that's really underrated. And it's the persistentness of life. It's the persistentness to live on. There's plenty of people who haven't lived into adulthood, you know, who have not gotten recovery from their addictions, who suffer immensely from their mental health, you know, who don't get into recovery in a way that benefits them. And I get to, I get to, and I don't know why some people do and some people don't, but there is a persistenceness and a resilience about ACA people that is often understated. If you ever went into the desert, it's arid, it's dry, there's not a drop of water. It smells like brimstone sometimes and you'll see flowers blooming. It's like, how how does that happen? How does that happen? As it goes all against all logic. And so where I had said before, I really hated where I came from, really hated my family, really hated everything. At the same time, if it wasn't for all those experiences, I would not be the person who I am. I would be somebody totally different, which may or may not be fine, but I have a unique perspective, a unique way of showing up in the world. I have a unique understanding of humans and I have empathy and compassion, you know, and there's a saying that um, I appreciate everything because I've come from nothing. That's how I feel. I feel I have a great capacity to appreciate because I know exactly what it is not to have it. And, um, and I caught myself saying, we were doing some sort of critical parent, uh, critical parent stuff in that loving parent, that goddamn loving parent book. Can't stand it. And we're doing the critical parent thing. It's like, um, you know, I have a lot of humor, you know, and I use humor quite a lot to relate to other people and I use it to reduce tensions and, you know, um, and I really like that about myself. I really like that I have this easygoing manner 
that um, can help people feel relaxed. And, you know, I'm in the medical field, so I use it with my patients all the time and it's well received. And sometimes I say the wrong stuff and I feel like an idiot, but you know, that's not all the time. But, um, you know, when I do feel like an idiot, it's not the end of the world, you know, it's not. And in my group of ACA friends, we um, say a tagline of anytime we do something hard or, or you know, have something, something difficult or, emo or something hard emotionally come up and we go, and we didn't die, you know, you know, I had to, I had to tell the guy I couldn't work on Saturday and I didn't die. And, you know, and, you know, it, it's silly, but it's the truth. A lot of times I feel or have felt I'm going to, I'm just going to die, you know, and it was an, an irrational fear for an adult, but it was very much rooted in my childhood. Um, I think I covered a lot. Let me think what else. Um, boundaries. Boundaries are good. Um, saying no to people doesn't kill them either, you know, so I'm not killing anybody by saying no. I may make them unhappy, but I'm not killing them, you know, and. Um, That's five minutes, Hope. Thanks a lot. And all right, so I'll wrap up by saying that um, I do believe that everybody has has a higher power and them. I do have a very strong spiritual connection. And, um, you know, when I see other ACA members, um, especially, I mean, you guys have a tender place in my heart. It's like seeing the high, seeing my higher power and you bring me such wisdom and you bring me such insight and you bring me perspectives that I can't get on my own, you know? And I just, I just fall in love with you guys. You guys are just so special. You really are. And I can't, I can't do what I do if it's not for meetings like this. And um, I'm hoping what I said was articulated or made sense in some ways. And I really appreciate the opportunity.